Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Matthew Muir about integrative dentistry. Matt obtained a double degree in veterinary science and veterinary biology in 2010 with first-class honours from Charles Sturt University. He began work as a mixed animal general practitioner in Griffith, Australia, before moving to the United Kingdom and commencing out-of-hours emergency and critical care work at a Royal Veterinary College top-tier hospital, before consulting in wellness and internal medicine. After several years abroad, Matt returned to Australia and joined the team at All Natural Vet Care in Sydney. His veterinary interests are wellness and preventative healthcare, soft tissue surgery, integrative dentistry, and all disciplines linked to the gut-skin-brain axis. Hello, Matt, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. Thanks we for having have me. You, very welcome. We have you face-to-face today rather than over the phone, which is a real treat for me and a first for the podcast. Um, before we jump into the topic of the day, which is integrative dentistry, I just was wondering if you're able to share with us um, your background, why you wanted to become a vet, um, where that came from, and particularly where your interest in holistic medicine came from. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm the traditional three-year-old kid that said they wanted <laughs> to be a vet, and somehow it managed to happen. Um, I think that a lot of it stemmed from I grew up in the country and spent a lot of time on farm and nature and had, you know, the classic uh, menagerie of uh, pets um, when I was a kid. Um, reflecting back on like why I got into holistic or integrative medicine, I think it was really um, actually when I was a young kid looking after my own pets, I was, um, you know, actually getting books from the library on, you know, pet health care and things when I was a kid. Um, and a lot more of that was centered around like home remedies and mm. that sort of thing. So I think it all kind of was born out of looking at home remedies. Um, you know, we had a veggie patch and, you know, I remember foraging um, the milk thistle for my bird really? when I was a kid. And, wow. <laughs> and I think my grandparents taught me this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I have uh, Italian heritage. So okay. a lot of, you know, what the dog and the pets, um, chickens were fed was from the veggie patch and, you know, um, meat and things. So I think it was kind of born out of that. Um, by the time I went to, um, it was in high school and studying for my HSC and then at uni, I can't remember when I first got like acupuncture or, um, you know, sports massage and things, but I definitely remember using it to sort of help with some injuries when I played basketball and things. Um, and then, yeah, I think I was using a lot of like herbal teas and supplements to get through the stress of uni. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, when I was at uni, I did an externship um, at the Singapore Turf Club um, with equine um, acupuncturists. Um, oh, wow. That they kind of flew in from Italy. That would have been awesome. Um, yeah. So I think that's when I was first exposed to veterinary acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember my parents telling me like when I was at vet school that, you know, they knew people, um, had a family friend that lived in Israel that was a veterinary acupuncturist. So it certainly wasn't kind of weird or far out for me, you know, growing up. And then, yeah. So with that, like I found that, um, you know, when I started in practice, I'd been following the, you know, the the AVA student stream for acupuncture and, you know, had had some exposure to it uh, via my um, externships. Um, And so when I 
started in practice, so I was quite aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, in my final year of vet school, I did a year-long um, field research project on the role of the microbiota um, in, in really? health. Yeah. Um, so I did that. So I kind of got into mixed practice, um, aware of the role of nutrition. Um, my, my first vet mentor, uh, David Harding, um, he, was, he, he said to me, like, don't work up a skin case if they're on supermarket dog food was like, you know, right. some of, he's like, don't, don't bother, um, you know. And so that kind of stuck with me being, um, you know, a, a conventional vet, you know, who'd, but who'd been in the game for a long time, sort of those, those uh, wise words of wisdom. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it sort of was born initially in my career. Often it was um, when people actually couldn't afford medicines or, um, you know, the monitoring that went alongside it, that I'd have to start being a bit creative. And I remember looking at um, some pet foods and looking at some of the ingredients that they were adding. And, you know, so then I was like, okay, well, add some broccoli or, you know, go to the supermarket and get um, kitchen turmeric. And, you know, if that's the best you can do, just put it in the food and see if the skin gets better. Yeah. Um, or, you know, get the, the, the fish oil that you can get. Um, and, you know, from then, um, it's certainly refined. <laughs> um, and, you know, as I've come along, I've learned that, you know, um, there's definitely more research needed. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, and, but, you know, it's evolving and, you know, we're getting fancier with, you know, nanotechnology and delivery and bioavailability and yeah. understanding synergies better. So then I went to the UK for a few years. Um, and I think that the UK... Both it's still doing mixed practice. Um, I found that the UK was there's more of a herbal tradition, I think, over there, and and also a raw feeding kind of movement as well. So when I worked in um, in companion animal medicine in London um, and an emergency centre, there was a lot more usage, commonplace usage of of herbs and 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 uh, nutraceuticals over mm -hmm. there. Um, so I kind of embraced that, uh, you know, uh, sought out and and seek the mentorship of some um, of, you know pioneers in integrative medicine in the UK. Uh, and then returned back to Australia and started at All Natural Vet Care. Yeah, which brings me to my next question. Um, so you've been, how long have you been working at All Natural Vet Care? Mm, uh, over three years now. Three years. Okay, yeah. cool. And um, your role there is one of the, obviously one of the main practitioners. Yes. Um, and are you all integrative practitioners at that clinic? Yeah, we're all yeah. integrative practitioners. We've got varying levels of accreditation certificates and, and you know, experience. Um, yeah. But certainly the philosophy of the practice and now I'm the a d a director, um, clinician and operations manager. Certainly right. the, the, you know, the feel of the practice is that all the vets working there are holistically minded mm -hmm. um, and, you know, um, you know, try and explore more the available options and, you know, over a longer consult format. So, yeah, we're at differing levels of our, you know, journey because it's yeah. a, you know, lifelong journey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like a wonderful place to work. Yeah, it's, it's good. Like yeah. we're really trying to ensure that, um, you know, because the, the industry has so much more to go with regards to wellness that, you know, we're trying to foster a culture in our practice of like wellness for us first so that we can, you know, deliver, um, you know, good medicine and, you know, deliver wellness to the families that, that come to see us. Which is so important. I mean, we won't 
sort of go into this too much today because it's a whole other podcast episode. Sure. But practitioner wellness is becoming such a, you know, a, a, an important topic to discuss, um, yeah. particularly mental health in veterinary practitioners and in the veterinary industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's pretty shocking. So it's great that you as a clinic are recognising that. And yeah, it's, it's really it important. And I think that, you know, we're constantly going back to the, you know, put your oxygen mask on first, Absolutely. you know, as caregivers. Yeah. Um, and I really actually would like to you know, throw it out there that integrative medicine really allowed like moving like fully into uh, integrative uh, practice and really stepping away from um, how I um, saw practice originally. I feel like that journey has allowed me to take better care of myself because I know things about nutrition and, um, you know, herbal medicine, et cetera, acupuncture. Um, but also it allowed me to feel like I was um, doing a better job for the families that I work with. So it was certainly rewarding. It's demanding at times, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> really trying, trying to push myself. Um, but you, yeah, yeah, it's really been uh, an interesting thing to look back on with the journey and moving into integrative practice. When yeah. I, when I got the job at All Natural Vet Care, they were like, you know, uh, you're home now. This is where you oh, <laughs> need to so be. Nice. So, um, and I, I feel that. Oh, that's yeah. so nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, let's jump into the topic that we are going to be talking about on the podcast. So interesting hearing your background and it's so nice. I can really see and feel how passionate you are and how happy you are in your job, which mm-hmm. is a real pleasure. Integrative dentistry is a topic which you propose to talk about today. And I'm really glad because I don't think I would have thought of it myself. I have to be honest, I don't know all that much about it. Um, mm-hmm. I know a bit about integrative dentistry for people, but I've never come across any other practitioners who are talking about it, let alone using it in their practice. Um, So let's jump in. What is your approach to integrative dentistry and why do you feel it's so important? Yeah. So I think integrative dentistry, um, you know, hasn't been really well defined as a, you know, entity. So I thought that I'd uh, like to kind of propose my perspective on it and, you know, share my approach. Um, My approach uh, nowadays tends to be focused around achieving synergies, for Mm -hmm. sure, achieving synergies. Um, And to do, um, you know, my best to come up with the individualized risk benefit analysis with any recommendations that we're doing um, in practice and really avoiding blanket recommendations and blanket um, decision-making, you know, uh, protocols. that personalized approach. Yeah, like, you know, six monthly perio treatments, for example, like I I don't sort of follow that approach. Um, And, you know, what we've found in our practice is that we have had, you know, quite um, promising and exciting outcomes when we, you know, follow a more integrative approach to um, taking care of a pet. Um, And certainly that's been, you know, a a hot topic in human medicine, personalised medicine. Um, You know, we we need more funding in in this space and and more research for sure. Um, But what we've found um, with regards to dentistry is that when I kind of reflect on, you know, what is integrative dentistry, normally my, my main thing is saying um, I don't look at my dental goals for um, a patient, one of my patients as a separate entity from my health goals for the pet, okay? Mm-hmm. So if, um, you know, if I was to look at, you know, just providing amazing dental um, uh, recommendations and dental health care, but let go of other um, goals that I have for the pet, um, for example, you know, the the ideal diet um, for the pet um, or the, you know, avoiding 
um, stress triggers for the animal, um, you know, then that might differ with, um, you know, how I'd provide the dental care. So normally um, uh, when I come back to Synergy, uh, I usually provide a multimodal approach to to dentistry. And I tend to find that um, normally we want multiple um, dental hygiene strategies um, running alongside each other to achieve the best outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I normally will pick at least three different uh, um, kind of prongs in my dental attack. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I, I do think of it as war with regards to dent- There's a lot of areas of the body, you know, like cancer and things where I think, look, you know, it's not a war. It's, you know, we have to work with, you know, what's going on in the body, but with um, with the dental um, analogy and, you know, dental bacteria and things, um, it's important to sort of think that, you know, we're, the body's, you know, at war with what's yeah. happening on the teeth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, multimodal approach, uh, individualised, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we're – and looking, I guess, beyond the paradigm of the kind of usual spus- uh, suspects that people might think of in conventional medicine with regards to, you know, the um, VOHC seal of approval yep. kind of products and, um, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, normally trying to be more, um, you know uh, – uh, focused on, you know, zooming out a little bit mm-hmm. in integrative medicine and saying, okay, you know, uh, we could do this for the teeth, um, but we need to put, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, amazing dental hygiene alongside like an anti-inflammatory um, uh, treatment goal, mm-hmm. um, you know, a um, stress-free treatment goal um, f- when I'm kind of devising an individual care plan. Yeah, sure. And so back to those three prongs in your approach to dental hygiene, yep. what are they? Yeah, so um, the gold standard in veterinary medicine is uh, meticulous brushing. Is yeah. the you know that's what they say, meticulous brushing. There's um you know, uh, and I direct the vets to the the marks, um, which is a Brazilian Norwegian um, collaborative study that was published in the AVJ, I think, in 2016. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd sort of direct people there for a really nice snapshot of of um, uh, of dentistry and you know some of the important um, things to consider. So with um with the three pronged approach, um, what we need to uh, look at doing is, um, you know, empowering people to brush their teeth better. Now, in this Mark study, the it's the it was the author's opinion um, that they didn't think that families would or could brush their pets' teeth. Now, the conventional gold standard recommendation is twice daily dental brushing. Really, um, yeah. for a dog, yeah, and a cat. Uh, yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I think so. Um, and and so what I normally um, counsel the families that I work with in saying is, okay, um, that could be a, a an end goal. Um, and when we're looking at the prevalence of um, periodontal disease in pets, the you know the, the the numbers aren't great in Australia. So my approach is um, is actually trying to elevate dentistry. So with one prong, we talk about okay, brushing's great. Um, as the pre- as animals age, the prevalence of their dental disease goes up um, a lot. I think you know it's eighty eight percent prevalence over the age of twelve years. Wow! So what I say to people is like you know if they have a recently adopted pet. I think, um, and a lot of my families would attest, I, I say, if you can work out how to do this in a decade, it'd still be beneficial. If wow. you can spend a decade okay. conditioning this animal to receive this treatment. Yeah. Um, and I normally explain to people, don't look at it like a chore. Um, look at it um, like a spa treatment. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's an important thing. Another aspect of integrative dentistry is that I'm trying to, um, you know, d- design a sustainable and achievable dental home care strategy 
alongside what we do professionally, which may include um, uh, periodontal therapies and cohats or comprehensive oral exams under anaesthetic, uh, under a light general anaesthetic is the safest in yeah. my opinion. Okay. And that's pretty established. So we're looking at developing a, a home care strategy that's achievable, sustainable, and I'm really trying to empower families um, to do it in a way that actually strengthen, strengthens the human-animal bond mm -hmm. rather than jeopardise it. Yep. So, so it can't be a chore. Yeah. People can't go, all right, I've been in for my wellness check and, you know, I've had the, my finger, you know, Matthew pointing his finger at me saying you must brush your pet's teeth and you yeah. go home, um, especially if there's some early or, or I certainly wouldn't recommend um, a dental brushing if there was established periodontal disease. It will, you know, make the pet really adverse to that therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not about cornering, pinning down, brushing. It's about, you know, uh, getting them to to really come and love it and ask for it. Yeah, yeah. So that's one prong. I don't believe many people can do it twice a day. Yeah, I was just going to say, so what's your sort of adherence? Yeah, um, compliance with, rate. Yeah. Um, a lot more than people expect. Um, okay. And I would uh, encourage more practitioners to, um, you know, uh, to slightly disregard the uh, opinion of the author in the Marx um, 2016 paper and actually start thinking that no pet people, you know, are doing a lot for um, their more pets. More and more, yeah. You know, um, and, you know, a lot of parents are, um, you know, uh, teaching uh, toddlers, to, you know, brushing toddlers' teeth and, and babies, et cetera. And, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people love that that bonding experience with their pet, especially when it becomes like, you know, a head massage. So on that prong, I'm normally explaining to people, I use some massage techniques um, that are, uh, you know, derived from acupressure techniques yeah, right, and okay. um, Tellington T-Touch, which is a, a massage technique that's described in the literature, in, in books, um, uh, where we do ear slides and circular gum massage and things like that. But mm -hmm. I, I think that it's really irrelevant what massage modalities really put in place. It's just about, you know, calming the pet. And yeah. Slowly creating that positive experience. For yeah. Them. yeah. Yeah. And taking a year. Yeah. You know, and starting as early as possible. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's important that vets demonstrate it yeah. in practice. So, what sort of toothbrush are you recommending? And do you recommend just using the brush on its own or are you recommending a paste as well? Yeah. So, the other, well, I, I'd recommend a paste really only to for operant conditioning or counter conditioning. Like, if that's what the pet needed to accept to enjoy it, then, the taste of then it. do yeah. that. I think otherwise, I think mechanical brushing is is the, the main, you know, prong. The second, the second prong and strategy I do to kind of alleviate the need to go as intensely as twice daily. And that prong um, is uh, using a variety of oral gels. Um, yeah. I use some herbal gels um, that we've been using in our practice for a few years. This concept of herbal gels, I normally explain to families that it's like a you know a herbal mouthwash that you might get from a health food shop. Yeah. That you know, um, good luck training your pet to uh, spit it out. So you know, <laughs> yeah. this gel you know helps safe assist the the saliva and safe to swallow. Yeah. Um, which uh, the jury's still out with regards to the evidence about how good it is. Um, the problem with a lot of uh, assessing a lot of interventions in the mouth is that there's not really great validated. There's a lot of variation in, in scaling systems or staging systems, etc. Um, and there's also some studies that sort of show that these dental gels can be beneficial if there's dry mouth, um, xerostomia, or or if there's other uh, pathological processes at play, uh, they might work better. Mm -hmm. But normally, what I say to people is, you know, if you can at least get the pet 
um, going back to your question, I normally recommend like a soft child's brush or, yes, um, yeah. you know, a, a microfiber um, cloth, okay, um, yeah. your finger glove or, you know, a, a pet a specific toothbrush. Um, I think it's not as, I think it really depends on what allows the family to become proficient. Yeah. Um, but what I would do with the, um, the herbal gels, there's also some water additives that I've been using for mm -hmm. a, quite a long time. When I worked in the UK, um, in the, the main practice um, that I worked in, AMC, um, the Animal Medical Centre, um, we actually had a dental specialist flying in from LA um, to work in London because, you know, there's, I think there's only 150 board certified dental specialists around the world, you know, like yeah. they're, they're in short supply. Yeah. They do amazing work uh, for oral health, not just teeth and, you know, maxo, um, uh, facial surgery, et cetera. Um, and he was um, bringing over... Um, some products, there's some water additives to to try, so um, which have like VOC, VOHC approval for mm -hmm. plaque removal and things, but not really tartar. Um, normally, so that's the second prong. Mm -hmm. um, the gels that we use, they've got some some kind of um, key, you know, thought leaders in holistic medicine, you know, promoting their use in the states. Um, so um, I think that's definitely a prong in mm -hmm. my approach. Yep. Uh, and the third one is um, a, a diet, um, yeah, you know, for sure. Like, yep. you know, looking at, um, I mean, there's going beyond the, you know, tripolyphosphate um, enriched diets and chews um, and looking more um, at, you know, achieving my other dietary goals, um, which is normally a low glycemic index, um, moderate protein, high omega-3 mm -hmm. um, whole food um, varied diet, um, which is complete and balanced. Um, too fatty after European standards, that tends to be my, you know, main uh, quick snapshot, even yep. though, you know, there's no one size fits all. Staying true to that, plus or minus bones, which I propose we come to in a second. Yes. Uh, contentious. Controversial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that, um, you know, diet, including chewing aids, whether that's um, uh, bones or not, um, you know, those three strategies together normally, um, you know, and there's probably more that I can't think of right now, but, you know, they're the main strategies the main that I'm trying to arm people with to say, you can be empowered to do this. Um, I demonstrate it in clinic. Um, we offer dental workshops. Um, uh, we, when we do periodontal therapies um, under light generals, um, we, you know, send families home and say the aim is that we don't have to do these as frequently. Yeah. Like you've got a clean slate in the mouth yeah. now. Um, you're far better at, um, you know, keeping that clean rather than the uphill battle of saying, oh, your pet's on the edge of needing a perio. Let's, you know, go um, full hog with them. Um, dental uh, home care strategies to try and reverse that. It's it's much harder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not impossible with these gels. Sometimes I give, um, particularly the gels, but not impossible with home care. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I meet a pet, um, usually, normally it's a, a new pet when I have to do, you know, a major overhaul of, you know, the whole dental home care strategy. Um, but sometimes I'd be like, oh, you know, are you, um, are you up? Are you motivated to do home care? Which, you know, uh, I remember, 
you know, eight, nine years ago, telling people to, you know, consider brushing their pet's teeth and getting like a, um, you know, an eye roll yeah. or like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. or, you know, they this do it is for insanity. a day and then give it up. Yeah. yeah. Or most of the back then, I don't think, I think people completely shrugged it off. Yeah, um, okay. But now, you know, if families are up for it, it's the right, you know, behavioral screening of the pet to ensure that it's the right candidate. Um, certainly dogs more so than cats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I think a big one is uh, normally what I ask people is, can you give your cat a tablet? Uh, that's my that's a, a good question for vets to ask people. Um, and if they can't, also that's homework. And yeah. even if that takes a couple of years, because down the track, not being able to tablet or gel cap, you know, uh, in my case, because I use a lot more herbal medicine, mm -hmm. like we, we, you know, we can uh, provide empty gel caps. Um, being uh, empowered to be able to do that for your pet for later in life is uh, a, a really uh, a good option. Yeah, it, absolutely. It, you know, you've got, yep. It allows way more options for treatment um, plans later in life. Yeah but I'm diverting. Um, <laughs> so if someone thinks that their pet, uh, if we think that the pet's like borderline needs a dental, and when I say borderline, I mean that there's like a stage one and a half, uh, sorry, stage half to out of four or one out of four, um, you know, and this is kind of the like the Bark um, Banfields kind of style of yeah. periodontal, the American Veterinary Dental College kind of staging systems. Um, if they're motivated to try some dental home care, I'll give them one to three months leeway. Okay. Um, normally at the one month mark, I'd have um, uh, one of my teammates call them and, you know, and be, you know, honestly try and get from that whether they can or can't do it. Yeah. Um, I never bully people. And I'm sorry if uh, there's listeners out there that, you know, say, well, you bullied me into doing uh, dental brushing. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm very open with my client base that I, I'm not bullying you to do this. Like I understand that you have a lot to achieve in your day. Um, I'm just, you know, uh, trying to show you that it can be done. Yeah. And often with dental brushing, going back to dental brushing, um, you know, using it um, uh, as a sole strategy, I don't think it stands up. Um, and I don't think anything stands up as a sole strategy. Yeah, hence that multimodal um, approach. Yeah. And, um, and what I say to people is, um, and there's, I guess... In our practice, I think a little bit of a um, assumption. I think it's it's partially true um, that if a dog's eating like raw meaty bone kind of bath style diets, they won't get dental disease. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that um, they will have like probably a decelerated, you know, accumulation of, of dental disease over a lifetime. But I don't think it's infallible as a strategy to mm -hmm. avoid dental issues for sure. Yeah. And normally what I say to people is, you know, um, you know, we don't see a hundred year old people that don't have dentures. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. we can outlive our teeth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that might be a bit different deep in the Amazon with, you know, how good their teeth are. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, wider mouths, yeah, wider uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, dentistry is, you know, made such a difference to the human life expectancy. It's like one of, I think, the key changes that we made to human health that, you know, added decades to our health span. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I do give people some leeway in trying to, you know, address the teeth. And sometimes they come back and, and I say, no, they don't need a dental anymore, you know, come back. And, and that must just absolutely motivate them to keep going yeah. when they get that result. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side of that, um, when I have that uh, three-pronged approach for home care, um, backing that up is a system of wellness checks, reminders, dental checks, like most of our client base are on a three-month dental check mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, regime, um, uh, dental check slash dental workshop, yep. um, uh, like, uh, and, you know, coaching them. 
Um, yep. A lot more of medicine nowadays should be client empowerment and coaching rather than... Well, absolutely. And for human medicine as well. Yeah. I mean, we I think that it's really growing that people need to be the advocate of their own health. Yeah, absolutely. Because no one knows your body as well as you do. Yeah. Um, and I think it's exactly the same for pets. The more you can educate and empower pet parents, yeah. the better off yeah. the pet is going to be. Yeah. Normally when I, um, you know, start developing and maintaining a client vet bond, I normally do say like, you're the primary health care giver. Mm. You know, yeah, you're you know, just the advisor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the CEO yeah. <laughs> of your own health, family's health. Yeah, you know, yeah. Hire and fire. Yeah, if absolutely. you need to. If you, yeah. and, and if it's not working, like with, uh, you know, like I'm pretty, like, uh, and I normally apologize to some extent to people about, like, you know, I'm pretty, um, uh, pretty full on. Um, in <laughs> Passionate. In, in, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. But I'm pretty full on in in consult. And, you know, if someone walks away and goes, oh, he really doesn't like, you know, that style of feeding or, you know, uh, this style of, um, you know, uh, therapy, then, you know, I, I don't really mind if, um, if that's unpopular because, you know, ethically, I, you know, want to say what I think because someone's paying for my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and taking I'm sure the time get, to come and see me. I'm sure you get more more people who are really excited by your opinions yeah. and want to follow them than you get the people that feel like that it's not for them. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you do. And then so with that, um, you know, the the at home, uh, you know, outpatient therapies and then inpatient. So, yeah, um, you know, regular monitoring. Um, you know, I fo- I definitely follow the AHA, like the American, um, you know, guide, like life stage guidelines for um, uh, implementing like upstream preventative wellness in clinic. Um, and, you know, six monthly well che- wellness checks is mm-hmm. like, you know, now the recommendation um, standard of care across all life stages. Um, a year in between assessing teeth is far too long. Mm. You when know, you the, think of the lifespan of the animal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the risk that of, you know, something being mild, um, you know, mild signs of gingivitis. Um, and normally what I learned in the UK was that, you know, um, not having a home care plan is already uh, like a state, like, you know, that's already dental disease. Yeah. Like if you don't have a state, like even if there's no pathology, there's already kind of dental disease um, because there's no home care strategy at yeah. play. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if a year goes by where something's mild gingivitis um, and then a year later there's periodontitis, that's an irreversible issue with that tooth. Now, that tooth's going to be so much harder to maintain, probably will need extraction depending on which, you know, um, uh, depending on the surgical decision-making process. Yeah. Um, and and so with that, yeah, more regular v- visits. Mm-hmm. More practitioners, and I'd say this helps across all facets of daily practices, cultivating a fear-free um, pra- uh, practice mm. for your patients mm-hmm. makes your job easier. It allows you to have more, you know, it really elevates the and enha- enhances the possibility of an oral exam um, conscious to sort of better, you know, check the mouth consciously um, in order to, you know, uh, recommend the perio treatment when it's appropriate. Yeah. And, um uh, Dr. Stephen Jariga is a board-certified um, dental specialist in the US. He um, he is of the you know opinion that you know not every dog needs perios, um, or certainly the the gap between that intervention can be um, massively increased mm-hmm. um, out to you know maybe every three to four or five years. Yeah, maybe only starting after ten. Um, there's 
some translational research that's happening in the area of um, geroscience, um, like geriatric, mm -hmm. um, and there's an ageing dog project um, where they're looking at, you know, the impact of ageing on dental um, salivary um, quality and things okay, like that. And, that, and I, I think that, you know, I, I think after 10 years, I, I think it seems like their, their saliva becomes like water rather than having the antimicrobial, right. you know, properties that it had when they're younger. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of my overall approach. Yeah. Okay. So with, uh, you just kind of sparked a question based mm -hmm. on the, the fact that you said that the saliva loses its natural inherent antimicrobial properties as the dog ages. Um, do you use any probiotics for oral yeah, sort um, of microbial balance? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the the um the oral cavity is part of the the gastrointestinal tract yeah um i do use a lot of symbiosis therapy um so always looking at pairing um you know the use of like therapeutic approach to using probiotics alongside like what what the diet the base mm -hmm. diet is and you know what the fiber um mm -hmm. uh, you know regime is etc um there are, you know, some interesting sort of areas within, and I'm glad that you asked the question. Actually, alongside probiotics, um, there's there's a whole sort of range of um, nutritional deficiencies, um, immunoinflammatory conditions, even autoimmune conditions that happen in the mouth. One, you know, and certainly an, uh, uh, what I think is quite a cool area of, um, of you know, exploration is the role of antioxidants um, and, you know, probiotics by their ability to help, you know, upregulate, um, you know, the, the immune system and, mm -hmm. you know, digestion and manufacture of um, vitamins, you know, certainly play a role in that. Um, but when we're looking at what happens to the antioxidant profiles of the gum tissue, which there's um, some some research. Um, the biggest ones, uh, the biggest research I think is happening with regards to vitamin E and coenzyme Q10. Okay. Um, and looking at certainly in humans has been I think in the the journal of um, oral biology and craniofacial research um, uh, that there, you know, there's human studies that uh, they're looking at using um, you know topical uh, coenzyme Q10 um, in rat models. They're they're using um, uh, oral supplementation, gestational coenzyme Q10. Um, so I think um, you know that area uh, is is really increasing. Probiotics I use, um, uh, I use a lot of in mm -hmm. clinic. Um, uh, and that that's sort of because of the dietary, um, uh, a lot of the, the diets that I devise, I, I use utilize probiotics to help um, get the right um, short chain fatty acid production in the hind gut to make, you know, the risk of um, food poisoning probably lower and, and, you know, reduce diarrhea and things like that. Yep. Um, but further from that, um, we're looking at, um, you know, w when we look at cats, looking at, um, you know, really nasty, um, like gingivostomatitis, stomatitis, mm -hmm. um, foresitis and, and, you know, all of that sort of thing, looking at some of the, and this is where probiotics comes in, 
looking at some of the immunoglobulin um, treatments, um, uh, lactoferrin, mm -hmm. um, which is milk protein. Lactoferrin, um, alongside paroxicam, I think it was a, as an adjunct, um, you know, co-therapy, um, you know, as a viable treatment option for um, stomatitis in cats um, to lift the local immunity within um, the, I think, IgA production within the palatine tonsils and things like that. Uh, you know, this, this looks like, um, and I think a lot of practitioners it will probably resonate with them that you don't all, and probably more so cats than dogs, um, you normally, you don't always see the same amount of calculus and tata you would expect to have the, the same like, you know, overzealous, you know, reaction of, of the gum tissues. Um, you know, some animals, uh, you know, I think we look and say, oh, you know, they're, they're, um, they're allergic to tata and that sort of thing. So I think probiotics, um, you know, further, you know, clinical application um, needs to be elucidated for dental disease. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, improving um, and modulating the immune system using probiotics, which is quite established with regards to, you know, upregulating, deregulating T helper cells and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, people can, you know, find that information online. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, absolutely has a role. The oral microbiome um, is, you know, the the ear microbiome, like the skin microbiome. Like we're realizing, you know, um, like dog risk, which is, uh, you know, the, the somewhere that I look to for nutritional advice, which is the, out of the University of Helsinki. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they found that the skin microbiome is more diverse in dogs that in staffies that don't have um, canine otopic dermatitis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I've read that too. In the oral. In the, you know, with regards to oral disease, like with um, with cats with uh, gingivostomatitis, like some of the therapies that they're using are like immunotherapy, like desensitization to allergens. Um, you know, um, cats lick themselves, get pollens on their teeth. Um, you know, and a lot of the time, the you know conventional approach might be um, for mouth extraction plus immunosups, um, mm. uh, immunosuppressive drugs uh, for the non-vets listening, um, and uh, you know actually immunomodulation rather than uh, blanket suppression might be beneficial for dental disease yeah. together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really interested in where coenzyme Q10 topical and sublingual yeah. um, uses is, uh, is going. Um, you know, definitely think that, um, you know, more direct application of herbal teas and gels and things could be, you know, uh, I think is an underutilised um, resource. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the actual herbs that are in the gels? Um, so grapeseed extract is probably the main um, yeah. the main one, um, peppermint oil. And I definitely have a caveat with talking about essential oils that it's highly yeah. problematic for people to think that, you know, they can do that themselves. Mm -hmm. Like it's a very dangerous very territory. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they're the, they're the main ones um, that sort of, they're the kind of chief herbs that are being used. But green tea, like decaffeinated, like good, trustworthy decaffeinated green tea, um, calendula tea, um, Mm -hmm. for rinses and things, I think, mm -hmm. are, are, are sort of important adjuncts to consider. Yeah, so you're mainly sort of selecting herbs based on their antioxidant and anti-inflammatory yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always. Uh, yeah, yeah um, you know, antioxidant therapy, absolutely. Um, looking, I think, at um, some of the nutritional deficiencies that uh, that seem to be associated with um, uh, gum pathology in cats and dogs, I think we're looking at, you know, decreased vitamin E. 
Yeah. Which I think is an increasing problem um, with people, um, you know, changing the EFA profiles of diet with, um, you know, additional fatty acid supplementation, which don't get me wrong, is like that's very powerful medicine. Um, but we have to be uh, watch how much vitamin E requirement goes up alongside that. Um, phytates from um, plant-based protein mm-hmm. diets um, probably bind zinc um, and yeah. zinc and vitamin C in, in some oral products that are on the market, you know, that, I think that's where they come in. Um, you know, the world's deficient in zinc. Um, you know, we've, we've leached it from the soil, yep. so it's gone. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, vitamin E, uh, retinol, like cats can't really uh, convert, you know, vitamin E, uh, vitamin A um, well. So, you know, that's been considered part of like the more autoimmune type issues that we see in cats mm-hmm. um, and, and probably dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Gosh, this is a whole new world for me. But it all makes sense when you actually talk about it step by step like this. Yeah. And can I uh, add one more thing Please that I do. do in practice? Um, it's the concept of positive side effects. Um, so when I'm thinking, and you know, it reminded me when you when we talked about um, uh, essential fatty acids um, and all of these sort of dietary, um, you know, uh, uh, components and micronutrient things, um, micronutrient <laughs> requirements. Um, we're looking at. I do think that. It's my hypothesis, and it's just throwing it out there. I think that coenzyme Q10 um, is at least conditionally essential um, for for pets, um, for pet health, and certainly um, it could be uh, more essential than what the current um, you know feeding standards are for pets. I know that it's it's synthesised from other amino acids, um, but I do think that there's some steps in the chain that might be compromised, um, and with with um positive side effect profiles it's it's quite you know established that there's histopathological changes to like kidney liver heart tissue associated with um periodontal disease mm, um and uh, and you know the link uh, as like a gateway for bacteremia and you know st- uh, immune system stress in the body and things like that like the the more naturopathic or holistic practice practitioners talk about a sort of entity called you know immune system fatigue yeah. um which i think is not re- really well defined per se um, in conventional veterinary um, biomedicine. Um, but a positive side effect um, would be the the increasingly established um, and emerging evidence for using coenzyme Q10 um, in heart disease. Um, I'm using it um, uh, based on, you know, expert opinion and some, you know, emerging studies saying, okay, we'll, we'll use it for heart disease. I definitely use it for doxyrubicin-induced um, like, uh, uh, as a co-adjunct therapy, mm-hmm. um, uh, cardioprotectant for doxyrubicin in CHOP protocols, et cetera. Um, now, I think I see it as saying, okay, um, uh, this pet's got dental disease, Um this pet, we, we think there's something going on with the coenzyme Q10 and vitamin E antioxidant um, status of the gum tissue. I know that their heart's at risk because of the periodontal disease. I've got two reasons 
to put them on coenzyme Q10. Um, and I don't care if it only helps one versus the other. If, if the intentions for one in the back of my head, I go, oh, that, yeah, that, that's probably good for the gums as well. Yeah. Or, you know, all right, we're, yeah, you know, yeah, it's absolutely like uh, high safety margins, like, you know, really well um, established in, in animal models um, and human models. Um, uh, not as expensive as some people would expect coenzyme Q10 actually mm-hmm. um, for good quality um, coenzyme. I'm Q10. Um, and I think, all right, well, if it only works for one of them, um, the other one's just a bonus. Yeah. And so I say that's like a positive side effect profile. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, yeah. if I'm devising a diet, like a low GI diet that I talked about earlier, um, if I'm devising a diet to be, you know, for wellness uh, and anti-inflammatory, um, I will look to Greg, um, Gregory Olgivi's, um, you know, anti-cancer diet um, guidelines and, you know, put an animal on that and think, well, you know, if I'm preventing cancer, cancer as a side effect, which I can't promise, you know, it's a dangerous territory with these, you know, really grandiose, you know, statements. Um, But, you know, if that has some chemo preventative effects for that pet, um, you know, that's a positive side effect. Yeah, absolutely. When we're talking to practitioners who are listening, who um, I I would guess the, the majority of listeners are really interested in holistic medicine but might not be working in a clinic which offers the same approach and this and has the same tools to access as you. Mm-hmm. How can a general practitioner in a conventional clinic start to implement some of these prongs that mm-hmm. you mentioned and um, do so where they're enabling the, the client to easily be able to access what they need to do it. Obviously, the, the gels and the herbs and things aren't going to be as easily accessed by the practitioner. So what's what, what, what advice would you give to someone who's really interested in taking more of an integrative approach um, but are limited in that way? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of them are increasingly available through wholesalers. Mm-hmm. Um, others um, aren't. Um, I think that with diet nowadays, um, which we should probably touch on bones because we talked yes, about that earlier, but let's um, do that. yeah, I think uh, say say navigating diet options to have a have oral hygiene as a as a health platform or health goal within you know dietary advice. I do think that that's a great starting point for vets. I think as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, uh, seeking the resources from the fear free movement um, to you know build that into your practice. Um, uh, you know, asking, um, you know, for longer consultation formats, mm-hmm. like extended consults and trying to, um, you know, have um, clients accept that, you know, with more holistic approaches, there's a lot more discussion time that's needed to come up with viable um, uh, individual risk benefit analyses and viable treatment plans that are re- relevant for the lifestyle of the family. Um, you know, if pet guardians don't have the time to do a lot of these therapies and, you know, other strategies need to be put in place. So I would say that for someone that's really wanting to explore more, I think that um, one is, um, you know, believe that uh, families will go that extra mile um, to, uh, to, you know, try and do more home care. Diet, I think familiarize um, uh, yourself um, as a practitioner with a, the sort of widening, um, you know, variety of, of offerings on the market. I think it's important to have a really solid position, personal position statement with your own level of comfort with regards to um, navigating the use of bones. There is clinical efficacy for bones, um, raw meaty bones. Um, it does exist. 
As an integrative practitioner, I think a lot of people would probably be surprised to hear that I don't recommend bones as often um, as uh, as uh, my clients wish to use them. Right, okay. I think a lot of dogs don't have the robust gut system to be able to digest bones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, normally I a lot of the patients that I work with, the pet um, guardians really want to use bones. Um, they've done, you know, a lot of research online. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd say to practitioners that um, a focus on gut rehab, rehabilitating the gut to be able to cope with um, bones, choose even if they're not comfortable with bones, um, you know, moving them off um, a highly processed, um, high starch diet. Um, and, and I would say going back to that Mark's 2016 paper that talks about the use of bones, um, there's, they're definitely uh, contentious. I don't think every practitioner out there will ever be in agreement with their, their personal opinion of bones, um, ever. Um, it's constantly evolving. The risk and benefits change. I mean, I think it's fairly anecdotal. It's been sort of, um, you know, told to me by, um, you know, uh, an expert opinion, but I, I can't find the literature to back it up that um, bones, raw meaty bones, um, produce more serotonin for dogs than um, right. than uh, other chews, um, and you know they use it as a self soothing, um, you know, uh, behavioural enrichment sort yep. of thing. Okay. When doing a risk benefit in two thousand and nineteen, if you're looking at the risk benefit to you know avoid needing um, you know uh, a bone retrieval surgery at an emergency at two a.m. in the morning, um, part of that risk benefit um, is also thinking about, okay, does that dog have um, generalized anxiety disorder? You know, would they benefit from the serotonin from chewing? What's it going to do to the microbiome? You mm. know, there's increased microbiome diversity in dogs that are fed um, uh, uh, raw meaty diets and more natural diets than a dog that's fed kibble. You know, how much impact does that have on the whole body? Um, these uh, these risk-benefit analyses are highly complex and, you know, not two-minute you know, decisions, but in clinic, you know, you have to have your lines drawn in the sand for today. Like your position statement personally might change in a year from now or next week, depending on what research, you know, you read. Um, And so I think that practitioners, you know, can start thinking, you know, about this, you know, the role of diet. Um, I, I, I don't rely on kibble um, in, in my practice unless there is a really, really strong need to, to have it. Um, you know, the only way that an animal can be managed with IBD without needing to have, um, you know, immunosuppressive drugs, like if the fair enough feed kibble, yeah. if that's, you know, that's where we're at, or, or there is like significant economical considerations, even though it, it ends up often being not not yeah, cheaper. It's really a bit of expensive. a false economy. Yeah. Um, and that's without even considering medical bills. Um, going beyond that, I think a lot of people, if they start exploring natural feeding, um, start exploring um, training people to brush their pet's teeth um, or uh, uh, water additives or um, gels, etc. I think that a lot of them will be um, quite surprised you know, with what, you know, not in every case, but what, what they see, Mm -hmm. um, uh, experimentation with things like 
rin- like rinsing the mouth with uh, chamomile tea. Like herbal teas is a normally a really nice entry for people to, you know, to start thinking about, um, you know, uh, integrative medicine. Yeah, like, you know, it's so accessible. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, all right, you know, experiment with tr- uh, cleaning a hotspot with green tea. Um, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, or experiment with, you know, calendula flower tea for um, itchy skin um, mm. instead of oatmeal. I used to recommend it for, um, for eyes. For allergic Ca- conjunctivitis. or calendula. Calendula. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So chamomile, yeah, absolutely. Um, or chamomile, like, you know, drink chamomile, give them chamomile tea, um, you know, dilute their food with chamomile tea to, you know, for for just a slight calming, like yeah. very gentle calming aid. You know, the side effect, I mean, that's, you know, that's these are the sort of where like, you know, old wives' tales meets, you know, uh, herbal medicine yeah. meets veterinary medicine. This yeah. is the kind of intersection and this is where it's starting to – a lot of the stuff um, that, you know, um, the the herbalists before me and, you know, holistic vets and integrative vets, you know, knew and what conventional veterinary medicine was. Like I think a lot of people don't realise that, you know, in the 1950s or, you know, 1900, like veterinary textbooks was full of herbal medicine. Well, we didn't have any drugs mm. then or well, not yeah. many. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Um, so I think that it's, um, you know, going full circle um, yeah. and, um, and families are demanding it. Um, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of information on the internet. Like we live in the age of information. Information can be a little bit misguided. Um, getting back to the bone thing, um, you know, I do follow a lot of um, online forum activity around, you know, how great bones are and that sort of thing. Um, I think bones, uh, you know, I definitely warn the risks of a dental fracture. Mm-hmm. To share my personal story, uh, my dog, who's a Daskund cross Jack Russell, um, you know, fit as a fiddle, like 12-year-old dog, um, he, uh, he eats a lot of bones. Mm-hmm. Um, he has his whole life. Um, what has, sort of bones? So he he actually eats like a lot of chicken necks, yeah. Um, which I think a lot of people be like, oh, the APN kind of risk uh, concern and things. Um, you know, should you be doing that? Um, and I think that again, um, it really depends on what the dog's um, you know uh, stomach pH is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how well their bile's working. You know how resilient they are. Like you know how thick is the mucin lining of their intestine. You know how much like what's the pH of like how. Um, acidic is the hind gut, you mm-hmm. know, and, yeah. you know, do they even have Campylobacter um, in their stools? Because that's probably, you know, needed for, you know, the, this APN link. Um, yeah, he he normally, so he's, he's like an eight kilo dog. So he eats lots of chicken necks, mm-hmm. turkey necks yeah. um, when they're available. Um, if people are really worried about that, you know, thing, uh, sort of thing, then, you know, certainly Gene Dodds um, has a lot of information on reducing Campylobacter risks, um, okay. you know, blanching um, raw meat for 90 seconds, um, you know, in boiling water, freezing it for more than 14 days, yep. minus 18 degrees, things like that. There's like a, a few risk um, uh, decreasing op- opportunities. Um, but yeah, he's eaten bones um, his whole life. Mm-hmm. Um you know, naturally fed, like, you know, the bones are thrown on the grass, you know, I think he's got some soil microbes alongside it and I'm okay with that. Um, And, but uh, he broke his, uh, his left carnassial um, last year. He had like a a, chicken neck. uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what he did it on. Um, But he's got like 
the, you know, he's got the right confirmation of mouth, like a, um, he does, he's not brachiocephalic, you know, he doesn't have overcrowding problems, he didn't have any deciduous teeth problems, he doesn't have a beard, like a lot of schnauzers. Like a, a, that's another thing that people can do is like recommend that dogs with beards shave the beard really? off. Yeah, I think it makes a big difference to wow. their eyes and get the, the tear staining under control because yeah, I think right. that that might alter the saliva pH as well. Interesting. Um, now he, he eventually fractured a, a, a carnassial age 12, um, but he has otherwise perfect teeth. He's otherwise in perfect health. Um, yeah, he had to have, uh, an anesthetic, um, you know, light anesthetic and with generals, um, for dentistry, normally what I say is like, it needs to be like a kid going to the dentist where, you know, it's like laughing, like laughing gas in order to get a regional nerve block in to do. And so they just sit still and don't freak out. Like that's the level of depth. Um, certainly that I observed the dental specialists in the UK using, like some of them keep them swallowing. Really? Yeah. Like, or just build. So they don't pack their mouths. Um, they do like they, you know, the, the depth is like to the point where they might like start having a really slow, um, uh, swallow, but yeah, packing, definitely intubating, um, uh, the, the whole movement of the anesthetic free perios or, uh, sed- uh, perios under sedations, uh, way more dangerous through the liberation of, um, of, you know, uh, aerosolization of, of, um, orodental pathogens and things. Um, but yeah, regional blocks, um, you know, so he, so 12 years old, he had a light dental, um, and he had the tooth out. We, you know, did some, we did a survey x-ray of his chest and, you know, just checked a few things and, you know, then he recovered well because he's a really vital, resilient little boy, um, gave him lots of, her- he's on lots of herbs, um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, but, and so I explained to people that, you know, you can, if you're feeding bones, um, there's a small risk of choke. There's a small risk of, um, of fracture, definitely deer antlers, fractured teeth. Like everyone should avoid those, um, for sure. All the dental specialists echo that overseas. Um, now, you know, bones never cooked. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll say that twice, never cooked. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, and yeah, assess your comfort levels. Well, Matt, thank you so much. We we better we're sort of getting close to the hour now, mm-hmm. so we better start to wrap up. But just before we go, um, you've shared so much wisdom and knowledge and really amazing advice that I feel like people will be able to sort of run with, mm-hmm. which is great. Is there anything else in your mind that you feel like you wanted to share today? Yeah, um, go on YouTube. Okay, <laughs> YouTube. Like I, I uh, vets. Like I wish that I had um, a more built-out YouTube for when I study veterinary medicine because yeah. I'm such a visual learner. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, uh, I send people home and I say, "Go, just you want to know how to brush the pet's teeth? Go on the internet for half. Do just do half an hour of surfing and see what people can come up with. Like it's, okay. you know, peer peer yep. sharing. Yeah. Great yeah. advice. Yeah. yeah. And um, dentistry, you know, uh, like good oral hygiene for pets, um, uh, you know, it, I certainly believe that it extends the health span, so the quality lifespan of pets. Yeah. And that's echoed by a lot of board certified specialists. And I think a lot of vets resonate with them. Um, you know, we've all opened up as vets like a mouth and seen like green, brown, rotten teeth. Oh, and then I surprise, know. surprise, they have a heart murmur. Yeah. Um, and it's, Poor animal. Yeah. And yeah, it's gross. And, you know, their smells so much stronger than ours and they don't want to smell what, know. you know, if we can smell bad breath. And what they're tasting as well, yeah. swallowing. Yeah. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're never too old to have a dental, in my opinion, mm-hmm. even if it's a radical procedure mm-hmm. with risks, anaesthetic risks to elevate their quality of life, their remaining quality of life from kind of okay to, you know, approaching amazing. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, it's they're never too old, yep. uh, in my open. opinion. Great. Well, before you go, are you able to share with our listeners where they can find you and more out about more about All Natural Vet Care? Yeah, so, um, yeah, we're on the internet, believe it or not. www.naturalvet.com.au. I also have, um, you know, an information, free information platform called Achieve Animal Wellness, Mm -hmm. which is achieveanimalwellness.com or at achieve underscore um, animal underscore wellness on Instagram and via Facebook. Um, There's a lot of uh, archival material um, through the All Natural Vet Care website. Um, We do do telemedicine if people can't get into us, um, if if it's just not possible, uh, working with local primary care vets um, or welcome for people to come for wellness, chronic disease, you know, um, whenever, before people get a pet. Yeah, okay. So yeah, 0297125844. Wonderful. Thank you so much for today. I've really enjoyed chatting to you and I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have as well. We'll have to have you back one day. Thanks for the opportunity. This is the Pure Animal Podcast, and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you enjoyed today's episode, please jump onto iTunes and give us a rating and review. 